<clears throat> Should have made a cup of tea. <laughs> Hello, we're live. Good evening. Hey. Are we? What's yeah, what's up? We're live. What's up? Is that um you don't you didn't put your your huge modular system in the shop, Richard? What's yeah. up? What's up? Yeah. It's uh over this is it over there? It's over there, yeah. This is this is like my mixing mixing mastering set up behind me here. Oh yeah. But the modular is like over there. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should turn that camera around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Let them have it. <laughs> You've got to show us the Colossus uh, Luke because um I don't think anybody's got one. I don't know anybody who has one. I've got number three. Oh. Do, do you know how many are, are made of the Colossus so far? Um, not many, because he makes them himself with one other guy. And I read that he was going to do 200. Uh, but when he came down with it, I said, so, how, you know, are you going to cut it at 200? And he just went, 200? I'm not. I'm not going to even make it to ten. <laughs> it's because it's like it's just so much work. So I don't know. Not. I. I don't know. There must be like six or something. I guess. Wow. Wow. Does it's he not, still? Can you put a request to to have one built if you want one, or is he just yeah. said, oh, oh, he'll still will build them. He will. Yeah, and he, and he's uh, Tom. He's he's a good guy. If he just. Um, Look up Colossus on Does Random Solutions. I mean, man, if you if you like just wrote something to him, he'd probably it'd be all over you. Yeah, it's funny. I remember buying a lot of the earlier analog solutions modules back yeah. two thousand five or whatever it was when I had my first two Dofer cases. There wasn't really much out back then. Other you either had you could buy Dofer, Schwayman, or analog solutions. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um and I didn't know that he had even made other uh, other stuff like that. So that, I'm surprised to see that system. I'm not familiar with this Colossus. What is it? It's uh, you. The thing. The thing is, if I, if I move the computer over there, yeah. I can, for some reason the headphone jack's not working. So I... Oh, good. Don't fuck with it. Then. Well, it, I, guess, I guess people can Google it. People can. You can, you can look at it. Look, look at it. It's actually better to look at it online. Yeah. Because no. uh, it shows close ups of all the, uh, the the design of it. Um, oh, wow. But it's, 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 it's fantastic. Um, I, I kind of avoided the modular era of late because I'm, I'm kind of more into things that are already built to some extent. That's just me. So when Tom did that, I was. Oh, so that's what I want. That's what I want. And, so it's uh, kind of got that that pin matrix thing that you'd find on a. Yeah, it's got two. Of them. Wow, it's got it's got a CV matrix and a signal matrix. That's so you can uh, you can really have fun, fun for all the family. And is that like a built-in oscilloscope there? And the it is, yeah, and the uh, it's an analog one as well. <laughs> but it's, uh, has, it, yeah, it's, has it has it made into any of your music yet, or are you still exploring it? I I I think um, 
yeah, I've recorded it a lot, but um, I haven't actually used it in the, in the way that I might use it for a track before. I've, I've just really actually, it's kind of it's kind of a workstation in itself. You know, I I, I can just sit, sit behind that and make stuff, and for no other reason than just create it on that. So I don't know, I don't know where I'm going to go with it. To be honest, it's just really good mm. fun. It's really interesting and. Mm-hmm. And were you able to to even find out what it sounds like before you got it? Did you did you no. visit the guy or no? <laughs> you just bought it. You I just bought it. it blind. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will, you know, I, I know their stuff. You know, I know I know kind of how they oscillate sound and bits and bobs. Um, but the option was to drive over to Birmingham, where he's based, and I just couldn't be bothered. So. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I knew it was going to be good because you know I've, I've spoken to Tom before, and he's quite he's eccentric, but quite totally dedicated to um, what he does. So I, I wasn't worried about that. He's not. It's not like a huge firm or anything. You know, this, this guy's lived with making sense for God knows how many years now. Yeah, he's he's, he's old school. Yeah. My first modular case was an analog solutions case, as well. From way from way back. Yeah. yeah. He gave me these uh, strange. I I don't know what to make of these, but I'll go and get one. <laughs> okay, so in the meantime, um, I should tell everybody that um, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can. Put your comments into the comment section, and we can pick them up here. And uh, if there is any specific I, questions you have for um, for Richard, Luke, or Mo, or myself, then uh, don't feel. Oh, what's that? He gave me one of these, and I'm not that technical minded to know. Looks like four houses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it's some kind of circuit board. Oh, okay. I'm really doing him a favour here. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. So you you, you sold the stuff on there. Okay. And it's cool. That's cool. Mm. Yeah, I I don't. So it's just like a little kit. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, I haven't had experience with that particular system but i played on the system 100 many times um that's a really fun um synthesizer to play on i think the one i played oh, on the yeah. oscillators it was the last one i played was at the university again okay. uh in belgium and um i had a friend bring me there he said hey they got a synthy 100 if you want to <laughs> play with it for a few hours and you know i'll never forget there's a key yeah, you know, out of the the teacher's closet or something because they never rare, they rarely powered <laughs> it on. But to turn it on, you had to stick an yeah. ignition key to power it up. Does, does, <laughs> does yours turn on with a key or no? Unfortunately, not. Oh, I love that. I loved. I was like, I love turning a synthesizer on with a key. I think that's such a badass. Yeah. <laughs> does it have like a like a car where you kind of? Yeah, it had a physical. You turn it. You, turn it, you turned it on to, to turn on the power supply. Yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was great. 
You yeah. know what other synth had that? That um, that uh, what is it called? That that instrument that um, Trent Reznor used on scoring that one film. Ah, oh, Jesus! Why is it slipping my head? Alessandro has one. The Swarmatron. That one also had a key to start it as yep. well, didn't it? Yeah, it's like the two brothers, or I think they're brothers that made those instruments. Yeah, that. Uh, um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I saw that. Yeah, they built all these these. Yeah, these they are like the most exotic instruments you've ever seen. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. What is it? What, what is it? Is it like a synth or? Yeah, it's it's like a it's a weird synthesizer with a ton of oscillators, and it has this long ribbon instead of a keyboard. It has like a ribbon cable that you can push down and bend up and down to get these kind of weird. Um, it's really difficult to explain. I'd have to send you a picture of it to look at it. Yeah, I guess the closest thing that good. is, yeah, the, the closest thing that that reminds me of that in which is actually manufactured is the the folk tech stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's got this, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's a friend of mine, yeah, he, yeah, they make some pretty boutique instruments, but yeah, I remember. I don't know what happened to the the Sormatron guys. I remember they were selling stuff through Big City for a while, and then. Uh, they've gone kind of quiet. I don't know. I mean, I haven't seen many updates from them. But well, it was a hefty price range on that thing. I think it started at like ten k for one of them. Right? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, it was like six, seven thousand okay. from what I remember. But yeah, it wasn't cheap. And I, I think I knew one of my friends bought one. One of them and my friends in New York got one, and then and then I didn't really hear much from them after that point. After they initially came out with that. And uh, yeah, I think there's a reactor instrument. There's a couple of people that built digital emulations of that. Oh, um, really? They're sent to, yeah. So there's, I think on the reactor users forum, some guy rebuilt a digital version of the Swarmatron that, that a lot of my friends were playing around with. And, but hmm. yeah, it's an interesting concept for sure. Um, You're yeah. kind of resisting the uh, Googling this at the same time. <laughs> well, it's still going down that road because yeah, just constantly looking up stuff. But <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it's it's funny how um, some of these guys that make stuff they um, a lot of them, you know, a lot a lot of them do disappear. You know, yeah. and always kind of oh, where well, you just stopped? You know, or you filed for bankruptcy. Yeah, <laughs> but you, you think at ten thousand pounds a cent, they yeah must have made a little bit to keep going. But what do I know? I don't, know. <laughs> I don't make them. <laughs> Just use them. <laughs> yeah, guys, we should uh, we should also say hi to uh, Colin Benders and the Stream Punks. They're uh, they're all all over the comments right now. Uh, it's Colin. Colin. Hey, Colin. Yeah. Hey. yeah, Colin's here. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, Colin's awesome. Here's Colin. Here we go. Hey. Oh, <laughs> so, so Colin, yeah, it's not a synth. It's not a synth one hundred, but it's a uh, very close. We were just discussing it. Yeah. I saw another question because you said, uh, Richard, you visited um, the Ghent University to play with this uh, uh, huh. synth one hundred. There's there are more places like that in uh, around the world, I guess. Yeah. Um, like there's a uh, Willem II Studios in um, in uh, Holland. Mm. They have um, you know they have all these uh, they have an ARP twenty five hundred and and you know lots of testing equipment. You know the kind of stuff that um, 
uh, my mate Monopoly from Rotterdam is also using, you know, these old uh, Brule and Kjaar um, things. And there was somebody commenting about a place in, I, th- I lost the comment, it's going too fast. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, let me see, here we go, Calgary. Have you, have anybody heard of that, about this place? Studio Bell. Where's, uh, where's Calgary? Is that Canada? Canada. Yeah. Um, is it the Studio, is the Studio Bell the place? Is it like a museum where they have like several hundred synthesizers that you can go visit? And, or I don't know. I it just reminded. No, me neither. But there, there. It, it's interesting that now, now this stuff is all getting so collectible and old and difficult to maintain. They seem to be ending up more and more in these um, places where they collect everything and maintain it and. Uh, some of them open up the doors for for producers or uh, people who want to spend some time with these things. Like, for example, like Mess in Melbourne, you know, M E S S in uh, in Melbourne. Yeah. Think yep. about that one. Mm-hmm. Yes, I haven't um, been there. No, me neither. I'd love love to go there. And there's a, there's one in Switzerland as well, I think. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to see how mm. how all yeah. these there's massive a- massive ancient machines are all ending ending up in these types of places. Yeah, I think it's great that there's some way. You know, there's places like this that will keep these machines and restore accessible. Them. Yeah, yeah, and accessible. So that you could accessible, yeah. play with them or record them. And um, well, yeah, I mean, I think I think the good thing about that as well, it kind of dispels the myth a bit. If you if people can have access to them, um, it sort of dispels that myth about them a bit, which is good because. <laughs> You know, it's, it's kind of, oh, okay, I had to go on a Simply 100, you know, um, and just it brings it down a notch. To, it, it, it's a machine, you know, so yeah. have fun just on another it. Thing, just another thing you, to get your head around, basically, yeah. Right, yeah. you know, so uh, I, I think that's a great thing, you know. I guess that's going to happen more and more, isn't it, you know, if, you know, if, we, if we've got the skills to pres- preserve stuff. Just going to end up with these even more museums of huge designs and inventions. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Hopefully they last long enough. <laughs> Hope we do. Or... <laughs> that too, as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like we're moving past vintage into the next. Now they're just ancient. Yeah. <laughs> I have a collection of ancient synths. <laughs> yeah. Well, like that ancient one called the 909. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, is that, is that really ancient now? I suppose it is, isn't it? But, it's getting there. Well, that's, that's yeah. like, that's almost 30 years old by now, isn't it? Yeah. All the old yeah. road and stuff. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Wild to think, think that, yeah. The, you know, a lot of that stuff I was buying in high school didn't seem that old back then, but now, as an old dad, that stuff's real old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, we—I guess we're from the lucky generation that was able to pick all that stuff up for next to nothing. You know, before yeah. the internet, just a local newspaper, and uh, yeah. you know, just run out and find some some uh, some old guy who had it gathering dust in the in the attic or something. You know, it was I, a lot I of mean. Time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I know I know many many stories like that, and they all seem to get 
more um, exaggerated all the time. Yeah, I got my three or three for uh, twenty pounds. For yeah, for, for, <laughs> I, I exchanged it for a for an old bicycle or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I mean, it is it is. Um, I mean, lots of the stuff that I've got here now, yeah. I wouldn't definitely would not pay the prices for those machines that that are current right now. You know, it's just absolutely yeah, no. crazy how how much. You know, the ARP 2600, for example, is now like oh, well over 10K, you know. Um, yeah. And um, same for the EMS Synthi and, you know, stuff like that from that era. You know, in the early 90s, you could pick that up for, you know, really, really decent prices, you know. Yeah, no one didn't want to stuff. use it anymore. Yeah. No one no one wanted that gear. That's how I got all – that's a lot of people. Yeah. I, I got all my stuff. That's exact. just like you. Um, I bought – a lot of the analog stuff back in the mid nineties, early nineties, when mm. I started building my studio. And that was the only gear that I could afford was mm. going into the pawn shops and buying 808s and 909s. Yeah. And at that time, no one wanted any, like my Jupiter six and all the stuff that I've, all that stuff was super, you know, three, 400 bucks. Yeah. Uh, you know, my 808, I paid 200 something dollars for my ARP 2600. I paid $250 for from a pawn shop. But, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I was paying Baron for vintage gear back then. Yeah, um, you well, know, there, there was a huge period where people just didn't want it. They just yeah, no one wanted that stuff. No, they, they loved like the sound of them, or the, you know, the mechanicalness of them. It was old. It was yeah. you know, and you could just literally pick up. We used to have a paper called Loot in the UK, and had a huge musical section and every Friday you just look down at 909, 909, 808, 303, SH101, you know, just, and you say, oh, that's not, that's not a bad price. You know, I'll just get in the car, go and see the guy, do a deal. And that, but that, that was really, that was on limited budgets as well. So again, it was that thing. It was cheap. It was cheap yeah. compared to anything new. Mm. That's the way it was. That's the way it was, folks, back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> never be that way again. <laughs> on the other, on the other hand, no. I mean, if you're if you're uh, if you're starting out right now, or you want to get your hands on some gear that is very capable, um, you know, it's it's a lot cheaper than it has been for for a long, long time. You know, so it's it's way more accessible these days, I guess. You know, because it's it's you know you can get so many crazy bits of gear. There's something new coming out every week. Yeah, and um, and um, and it's and it's also very affordable, you know. Hey, hello. Oh. <laughs> How are you doing, Mr. Hi. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Yeah, we we we're, we're just talking about. We're having a bit of a chat. Bit of a chat. <laughs> can you hear them? Yep, I can hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Are you going to say bye? Bye. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, that was civil. See, if that was Richard, you'd, I bet you'd probably be hammering nails into the door right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I said a bit. My daughter would be petting me. Open the door! <laughs> 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 the door locked. You never lock the door. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. I think the f- <coughs> hey, look, the, f- the forum found out who she is. Mm. <laughs> yeah, she. Uh, yeah, she's uh, she's she's popular on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and, well, yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, so, sorry, uh, was, uh, no, no, go on, go on. I mean, um, um, I just, I just thought uh, maybe it's interesting to see what uh, latest piece of gear everybody got excited about um, at the moment. Oh man. Okay. <laughs> Usually that's not too difficult of a question, isn't it? <laughs> um, I okay. Let, let me tell you what ahead. I let me tell you what I found. Yeah. I found this. Um, uh, it's it's a circumvent website. I I don't know the name off the top of my head, but you guys might know it. It's uh, they make this um, box, uh, which basically plugs into the uh, the sound card uh, slot. On the back of an uh, Roland R8, uh, with some kind, of, some type of SCSI connection, and it it's it circuits bend circuit bends the hell out of the uh, out of the drum machine, and sounds very much unlike anything you've ever heard coming from that machine. Wow. So that's what and and yeah, I mean, um, some of these circuit the bends. Yeah, I can look it up for you, but um, so I have a ton of my drum machine circuit bent. Yeah, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm just just, just oh, the tail right. Just just that. No, no, no. The old, the old, the old Roland R8. You know, the human feel oh, drum machine, the, the black one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's called. It's this, the website is CircuitBendersCo.uk. Yeah, CircuitBenders. Those guys are freaks. They, yeah, they I love, mean this. They the, love it. The the the, the you know usually circuit bended machines you know they they sound pretty harsh if yeah. you once you get get into the into the process of it you know yeah. but the um, this one to my ears sounded very um, yeah versatile and also had some really freaky sort of um, you know noise it's noisy but not as harsh as I'm I'm used to hearing from circuit bend equipment but it, it's like uh, it's like 80 euros or something it's it's quite affordable and it, it completely expands the the range of the ah oh, wow okay oh you got that's the era all right 30 yeah um this drum machines yeah i was gonna it's funny that you mentioned the r8 because i was going to do my r8 next um, Ah, okay so any of the old digital drum machines that have like the cards uh will work but this one i had done by um Alien Devices, my friend John. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he's, he did um, he did some other stuff for me, too. Then there's uh, – do you guys know the Highly Liquid guys? No. <laughs> no. I, I really wanted to get the, the 707 Alien Devices mod. Yeah, I had have, I have that one as well. My favorite is the Glitch Desk. This, this, let me see if I can even hold it up. <laughs> so – Oh yeah. Highly Liquid built this. I think he made like five of these, maybe six of these. They're really, really rare. Um, what's cool about it is it uses. Um, let me see here. It's um, uses DB25 connector cables. So I have a CZ101 that he modded all the points, pre-modded all the patch points for, and then he did a TR707 for me that he all did all the. Pre-patch, of course, you have this like DB25 cable on the side of the 707 or the CZ101. And what you do is all of the circuit bends or patch points with banana jack cables. So you can cross and you, you can you like cross patch different um, 
circuit bends in real time. And what's neat about this desk is it's got a sequencer built in, so you can sequence wow, each nice. bend yeah, 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 yeah. in time, and it's got MIDI. You can send MIDI clock to it. So what's really neat is you can do live circuit bending while you're sequencing through each one of these different mm. um, patch, patch bends. So you come up with all these crazy – I mean, I've gotten stuff that's just like – where I start laughing. I'm just like, <laughs> it's just, it gets so crazy and out of control so quickly that it's, uh, um, it just becomes hours and hours of fun. It's like a wormhole of just, you know, insanity, but it's, uh, it's really, really fun. Yeah. I've really, uh, I've got, I don't know, 40, 50 different circuit bent instruments and, you know, used them for years, but yeah, that's cool that you bring that up. I haven't heard many people recently going back and using any circuit bent stuff in a while. I've always been a circuit well, I mean, junkie. <laughs> yeah. The thing, well, the thing though, that caught my, caught my ear on, on this one, on the R8 one that I, I mentioned is that, um, you know, um, like I, I told you when, when you, when, when you were over just grabbing your, your gear, um, sometimes it can get really, really harsh very, very quickly, you know? And yeah. um, this the type of sounds that come from uh, from from the the books that I found they they seem to be a bit more um, uh, well they're they're obviously they're circuit band sounds yeah yeah they're obviously circuit band sounds but they they can yeah they sounded a bit more pleasant to my ears as well so I don't know yeah. I don't know what how I don't know I, I haven't heard the the examples that you mentioned uh, Richard but. Um, but yeah. yeah, this this seems like an endless, uh, like you said, like an endless thing, you know, to expand the range of your oh, your instrument by by so much. Yeah, with the R8, the R8 would be a really good drum machine. Like the RY30 is incredible when you circuit mm. bend it. It just, um, just by the nature of the, how the drum machine works, you know, you can automate pitch information, like all kinds of stuff, really quickly into the pattern. And when you're circuit bending the the while it's sequencing and, and all mm. that data is all being sequenced. You get really, really strange stuff that comes out. Um, I've used it, I don't know how many dozens of times, and and I've had, I mean, I've had this RY30, you know, since like mid mid nineties when I got it for, I think I paid like fifty bucks or something for it. And I've just held on to it because I love the sound of it. Um, mm. And then I found a couple people that, uh, you know, in like the early two thousands, mid two thousands, that were doing circuit bends on a lot of these machines. And then I was just yeah. like, hey, I let's let's I'd be totally up for circuit bending um, that. And then I kept, I went nuts. Like I started doing, um, you know, vintage analog stuff as well. Like I had, I think I had John also do this one for my uh, six or six. You guys can see that. Oh yeah. Well, that's a good thing. He did a whole, uh, it basically makes it like an, like an, almost like an 808 drum machine. So you've got, you know, you can see here, um, um, you know, kick drum decay envelopes, tuning for all the toms and everything. It's um, cool. And then you know, individual outputs for the uh, mm. root voice. Um, yeah, it does. It does take it away from it being a pocket drum box. Change all the noise settings and uh, for, for the cymbals and the hi hats, noise volume, all that kind of stuff. So you could do some really, really, I really like craft it. craft the sound. I mean, I know the. For a lot of people, the 606 might not be the most interesting instrument to, you know, to use. Oh, I love it. I love okay, it. Even I, I the way it is, the way it is. Brilliant. I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, I loved it too. Yeah, I'm a, yeah. I, I just like the sound of it as it comes. It's, uh, yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. You can you can still get the original sounds out of that if you don't want to use the uh, extra 
um, controls on it. But it's uh, yeah, I went I went nuts when it comes to modding out stuff. I've always been. <laughs> have you seen the Have you seen the the, um, the modifications that Robin Whittle does to the six hundred six? The guy who builds the Devilfish, you know, the guy who yeah. builds the yeah. he does a three hundred three mod. Oh, sorry, a six hundred six mod as well, and that sounds incredible as well man there's like uh, uh even audio inputs so you you can feed it uh, something else instead of the noise of the hyatt or something you know it just it yeah. has audio ins and stuff it sounds crazy i mean the yeah robin sounds yeah he's amazing yeah he did well he did mine he did my devil fish on my 303 and i think we did it in 2015 or whenever i was last touring in australia I went to visit robin and his wife such sweet humble great people and yeah um yeah, they do. He does really great work, um, and yeah, I, I, I wanted to do. He also does eight hundred eight mods too. Yeah, true. Yeah, the TR eight hundred eight. I wanted to do his modification to my eight hundred eight, and then um, I just never got around to doing it. I mean, I still have my eight hundred eight, but I just yeah, I would love to have him because the quality the quality of his work is just super high. You know, you know, I had the devilfish mod done back then everything works perfectly even still today i mean i don't know how many people that do mods that do stuff at that level of uh you know using quality components and stuff that's going to really really last a long time and be you know take it out playing shows and really like um challenging environments you know i think it's yeah. a, it's a really good it's just right. yeah really good engineer yeah yeah he was also working on uh, binaural sound um, I visited him as well. Yeah, I visited him as well in, um, must have been, I don't know, 15, 18 years ago when I got my devil fish done. Yeah. And uh, he showed me off this thing, which um, um, he had a binaural uh, uh, thing attached to, to a pair of headphones yeah. and a mic. And then he started, he took me to the forest, the rainforest close to Melbourne. And then he tried to show it off, you know, and um, so he walked around around me with this microphone, just talking talking to me, and I could follow. I could, you know, basically hear his voice going around my head, and then he dialed in a delay. So his he was in front of his voice, and it sort of became a spiral and everything. It's really really cool. <laughs> just uh, just a, pri a private concert by <laughs> by Robin, just him talking and you know having being disorienting with uh, the sound and his um, you know seeing him move and everything it was funny. Yeah, um, he, he two guys in the forest with a microphone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very suspicious. <laughs> Very suspicious. <laughs> Very suspicious. <laughs> Healthy, you know. I think, yeah. Yeah, there was no one around though. There's no one around. <laughs> yeah, you gave me some CD recordings of some like stuff he'd done in the rainforest and stuff like these binaural recordings back then, and even I was fascinated by that because I'd just been starting to do a lot of field recording myself and. The only like binaural recordings I was doing was using these uh, DPA miniature omnidirectional microphones. They're the 4060s. Yeah. A lot of sound designers use them. And the way that I was doing it was I was using the old I. I uh, there used to be these like uh, you know when you buy like an iPod or an iPhone, they would have people that would run with the in the in ear buds. They would have these clips that you would put in so that they wouldn't pop out. So instead of putting the um, you know, the iPhone or uh, in earbuds, I would use the uh, DPA mics and I would clip them in right over at the opening of where my ear, my ear uh, hole. Mm -hmm. So I'd get these nearly perfect binaural recordings uh, with those just little clips. So I go like a that. DIY Neumann head, basically. Exactly. And my head was yeah. perfect, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
specimen for for these recordings and it was um i got some i, I probably got a couple hundred really really great binaural really realistic binaural recordings that way you know just sitting really still like a you know people think i'm listening to headphones because it looks just like mm. in your buds but they're actually microphones mm. they're just tiny tiny little diaphragms and they're just secretly judging you from afar yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah, I've got you know planes taking off, you know train stations, just like all kinds of great stuff. Where if I just wanted to capture this subtly discreetly things, where you know you don't want to stand in a bunch of microphones and you know wind wind cats and blimps and stuff, or just want to capture something more discreetly, they're a great way to capture a great recording, um, a binaural recording, if you will. But um, but yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up because like I've been getting into ambisonic recording lately, which is really fun when you're talk, mm. talking about all the uh, panning and panning and stuff around. Like ambisonics has been a really uh, that can be a really a big head trip. And in the, in the wasn't that developed by the the same guys who did uh, Turbo Sound and uh, Function yeah. later? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I I love all that stuff. I think I think for years people have been trying to get that to work for the for the regular guy. You know, it's it always seems stuck in. Um, it's a great phase of we can hear it, we can set it up, you know, we can experience it. But you try and you know for for the mass, it's so hard to. For that everyone to experience the same thing. Well, yeah, I mean, there's it, two there's two ways to 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 experience stuff like that. You, I mean, if you're talking about multi-channel audio, uh, this uh, played back over speaker sets, which yeah. uh, you know, like five point one or or quadraphonic or even you know sixteen point one or whatever. Yeah. There's many different uh, configurations thinkable um, and exist out there, but. Um, those that m- way of of um, reproducing music actually requires the listener to be in a sweet spot. Exactly. But but with with um, exactly. you know you you yeah. have these systems now like binaural sound and um, you know there's this sort of you know thing floating around like which is called AD or something, which is yeah. you know basically a, a format you can experience over headphones and that's that's a, yeah. a, a, yeah. the same for everybody. So there's two different ways. And I think the headphone version or the the spatial sound on on headphones yeah. um, has a has a you know a future I guess I mean the multi channel audio is is good for installations and for yeah. one off performances and stuff like that you know and where where you can where the, the amount of people is not too uh, too big you know so uh, since everybody cannot be at the same place in in a room but these um, these versions yeah. which basically tri- trick your brain. Um, yeah, you, you mean about like the something waves, being spatial. You mean like yeah. the wave stuff they do. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Of course, like Rich, of course, Richard can show us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, Richard's got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I kind of been thinking that uh, you know, call me the son of uh, the son of the guy that runs Tesla. But what we really need is some kind of electrodes that stimulate the hearing <laughs> yeah. area you know, yeah. that you can wear, and then. That would totally um, get rid of the problem of everybody being able to experience sound in a certain way with real speakers, Mm. uh, assuming there's any events again, you know. But I'd I'd kind of be up for that. 
you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be, <laughs> I, I think that could be really interesting because, you know, we, we, we know a lot. We know more and more about how hearing works and how it's wired to the brain. And we don't know everything, but I, I think there's something in there, you know, for the future. Oh you know, yeah, I'll we, be getting I'll be getting implants as soon as we get to uh, yeah. supersonic hearing and stuff. Yeah, I'm on that. As long as I can switch them off. Yeah, yeah. You mean these ones? But they have uh, they have headphones now that do yeah. They are they, are they the waves? The these are the ones from waves. Yeah, these are yeah, the yeah, yeah. obvious headphones, which will do like five one, four point. Yeah. They'll do ambisonic beef. You know, depending on whatever they're really meant for, like gaming or like uh, if you're watching a movie that's um, you don't, but you don't want to have a, like surround system set up that you, they're great for experiencing stuff like that. But they do have systems that can translate those files and triangulate all that audio data into something where you're head tracking, you can move head, it the head tracker, yeah. with the sound. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah cause in 2016, I worked with Google on their virtual reality platform daydream. And I did my first project in ambisonics, ambisonic mixing and sound design doing user interface sounds and stuff. And so I had to, kind of jump into that world for a little while and learn how to do some of that stuff. And it was really fascinating. Like, um, it's a lot of ear trickery, you know, sound distancing, like getting things to sound far away. Yeah. 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 It's really, um, it's a, it's a whole different, it's completely different than working in surround or, you know, stereo or even multi-channel because you're trying to translate this, the X, Y, and also Z plane access of sound of stuff, mm-hmm. information above your head and below your head, which is not something I think we as humans, we have more problems, um, you know, um, detecting sounds above. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Differentiating those sounds is more difficult for yeah. us here. So that was very hard to translate that sort of thing down to like this sort of format. Because uh, when you were saying, yeah, for, for the normal consumer to experience that, we also, working at Google, we had to work within, you know, a headset and a controller that everyone could buy. And then the viewing thing would be from a Pixel phone. So it was all things that they would be able to right. buy for relatively cheap and get, you know, easily get their hands on. But able to translate that technology through these meetings was was, was sort of a difficult task, uh, at least for me it was, but um, but it was an interesting experience working in that format. I feel like in the future it would be something to explore because it really does bring this extra, you get more, so much more sensory, uh, you know, the experience is much more heightened when you have that much more information. Yeah. Did it, did it, did that stuff you worked on make it into anything that we can, that we can hear uh, Richard? Because yeah. I mean, they're okay, cool. Because, um, I've been, I've been doing stuff in 5.1 and, and I've left that format, uh, for a long time, but mm-hmm. uh, recently got triggered with the idea to do maybe something virtual, uh, spatial, you know, like, uh, the technology you're talking about. And I was, I was wondering, um, you know how how that could be used in a in a really creative way because the examples you find online, if you if you if you look for, you know that kind of technology, it's basically so 
incredibly overdone you know it's usually you know, oftentimes it's just it's just stereotype just floating around your your spatial image and that's it you know and that's yeah. that's basically uh to me that's completely useless because that's not how you experience music and it just gets you nauseous you know but if yeah. you if you would be able to you know split out uh you know all your your multi tracks you know in and sort of give them each their own place or have them move around in a more in a in a way that makes sense to the music or it makes sense to the experience you're trying to create i haven't found any that, really that, good that examples is, yet that, that is andy sonics isn't it that isn't what you're talking about that's exactly what andy sonics does but you can place yeah you can you, 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 yeah. you can decide you can specifically play you can take a yeah. instrument for instance yeah. or you know mm -hmm. a modern signal and pan in an ambisonic space so you have lots of flexibility to do lots of different things and the technology when I started in 2016 on the project with Google, even back then the, the tools weren't that great for us. They were having a lot of, uh, we were having a lot of issues. We had some developers in San Francisco that were making like specific APIs for me to use in Reaper for mixing and, and panning. Um, they, Google had their own sort of tool set that I was using. And then I was also using some free plugins that were available at that time. But now there's a lot more available now. There's a lot better stuff. Waves for, actually uh, makes some too, as well, don't they? Yep, Waves makes the NX bundle. They make their own surround Amazonics uh, conversion bundle too. Um, there's a lot more companies now jumping on board. Audio Ease makes their surround um, pan tools. They have a surround 360 suite because now 360 videos become more of a standard now with YouTube. Now they're making uh, Amazonics B format B would probably be the most popular form uh, audio format for 360 audios, which you'll mm -hmm. find. Um, is like the standard now has become the standard. And um, that's what I worked in when I worked with Google's. We did, we did uh, format B uh, ambisonics and it was, uh, um, it's interesting. Yeah. Like you said, I think, um, you know, it, it's, it's definitely an area to explore if you're, if you, I mean, I don't know how many of you guys have virtual reality. The first time I experienced it was when we were working with the VR system with the HTC Vive and, Going back to Yoakum's question, when I have I done something with it? Yeah, we, the the first one of the first products I designed the sounds for them was Google Earth VR. So for those of you who tried Google Earth, the version that you can visit, yeah, with yeah, yeah. Browser, they did a on virtual the, on version. the Quest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you have uh, yeah, like an HTC Vive um, VR system, you can go in virtual reality anywhere on the planet Earth, and like you know, visit any, any destination and then go there in VR with the controllers and then explore around. I, what Google had me do is create all of the uh, sort of sound environments. Like if you were in a jungle or if you were in a beach or in a field or um, in an open meadow somewhere, I would create the gym. I created the general ambisonic library of sounds, wind and water and all the natural uh, things that you would experience on planet earth. And we created this library that would, kind of subtly play in all these different uh, areas, no matter, depending on where you explored on the planet. And then all the user interaction sounds with the controllers also, I worked on those as well. So it was a bit of a um, half and half, some synthetic sounds and a lot of organic uh, ambisonic recorded stuff where I actually had to go out and record some of these um, sounds out in the field um, with ambisonic mics, like the Sennheiser MBO mic, we use that. The 450 ST by Sound Field, which is another uh, ambisonic mic, and um, the uh, there's the Rode. I just finished up a, a library for Rode microphones from Australia. That was a, I think it was the biggest ambisonic library 
that's been released in history is one that I worked on with three other field recordists and sound designers. And that was just released a couple weeks ago. Um, and all the sounds are for free. You can download them for free and listen to them and use them. However, cool. uh, So the sounds you recorded are in, and once you get into that environment and people are using the controller to move around, um, I assume the sounds you move through the sound field as well as through the visual field then, right? Yes. Yeah, so the, oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, the way that it yeah the way that it works is with ambisonic with the ambisonic format. It's basically four audio channels, mm-hmm. uh, and those four audio channels are always kind of playing. So what's happening is it's always kind of I don't know how to describe it. Depending on where you're moving your head, you're going to get more information if you move your head over here mm-hmm. than to the right. So wherever the sound, say if there's like a bird over here in a tree, you're going to hear more of that information and that information mm-hmm. is going to come. It's all based on how you're moving your head. Um, so it's using a lot of phase and there's all this, you know, algorithmic math that's involved of how the um, triangulation of where you're at and position in the movements and how this, how much of the sound information is coming in. It's all kind of um, works together um, to kind of give you, it's more of an illusion. It's like an illusion yeah. of audio <laughs> um, to make it believable, but it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. an interesting area. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, it definitely is. It's, it's, yeah, something I got in by to- totally by accident. I wasn't looking to do this mm. or anything. It was a friend of mine at Google was, uh, I've been friends with uh, I've been friends with him before he worked at Google. He got hired as a UX programmer there and was head of this big program, their v- big VR program there. And then he said, Hey, I, I, do you want to jump on board with this project? I mean, I was like, I've never, I don't have any experience doing this. I, I, I could totally fuck this whole thing up. You know, so, and he was like, "Hey, we don't know what we're doing either. We're if we fuck up, we fuck up together. So um, let's do this." And I was like, "All right, if as long as you know what you're getting into, then I guess we can't lose." <laughs> um, so that was a cool way to you know learn something new. And um, yeah, I think it's yeah, I think that it, like going back with Yokan back to this five point one thing. I also was trying to get into doing five one stuff for a while. So I still have my front, I have a surround mix room. Uh, over here we have 7.2 surround general system that I just, I felt like the format people just weren't getting the format, you know, like I felt people are going in the opposite direction these days. People aren't looking at multi-channel systems or buying like these Bluetooth Sonos space, you know, these Bose systems where it's just one, they're not even getting even spatial stereo information anymore. They're just buying a Bluetooth speaker. That's like a cylinder block. Um, and, they're happy with that these days. You know, that's what most consumers are buying is, you know, these things that um, they're not buying multi-channel based systems. You know, you might get a couple people that buy a surround system for a home theater or something, you know, that watch movies, but typical consumers aren't buying at least. No. And if they, if they do, they set them up in a, mostly in the wrong way, you know, in the wrong way. (laughs) We were discussing that last time. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I ran, I ran into that so many times, man. You know, you spend all this time working on the, you know, getting your, your, your space exactly right. And then, you know, the way it's being reproduced, it doesn't make sense at all, you know, but, uh, but it's difficult, you know, and that's why I think those headphone technologies are, um, are more interesting to have a look into. It's it's a it's a more viable option. It's easier for yeah. people. I think people are can choosing convenience over you know having a multi, an expensive multi channel setup that's cumbersome mm. to yeah. get everything. Wrong. I wonder if that's uh, a, you know you know something called silent disco. Yeah. yeah. 
you have to wear headphones for that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this that's actually a perfect way to to get that going. Maybe gonna... maybe they're maybe they're working on it already, I don't know. But you you have a silent disco? I've never done it, but it would be interesting I've to never have done a, it either. A, a silent surround sound disco. Silent discos. <laughs> silent surround sound disco. <laughs> that's the next party. Yeah, VR disco. <laughs> yeah, VR. I know they do VR raves. Yeah, yeah. With the headset. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know they do. Um, I've seen quite of those, few of those advertised, but yeah, I've never been to one. But yeah. Um, no. I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but there's like a new VR app that's called Tribe, which is basically like a Pioneer DJ mixer and four CDJs. Mm. And you can actually hook it up to Rekordbox and load in all your playlists into it and play in VR and invite all your friends in there and everything. And apparently everything works exactly the same as it does huh. in real life. We need, yeah. a, we need a VR version Whoa. of uh, Rich's studio, man. <laughs> <laughs> Let me log in. See you in a minute. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's funny. We have VR parties over here every now and then because a lot of our friends in this area have never done virtual reality. So we'll invite like five or six friends over and we'll like, hey, we'll, like blow their minds with tilt brush or some of these crazy. Oh, yeah, apps. yeah and stuff and um it's pretty fun yeah for people that haven't done it and it's always fun to see the expression on their faces when they like do their first vr experience did, did google actually release this <laughs> daydream thing <laughs> daydream was released on the pic it was a it was an app that was released for their phones oh, for the okay. pixel line of phones but they don't actually develop a headset do they yeah they have a google they have a google uh vr headset yes huh. it's like that. gray um, they're gray and they have these, uh, there was like a small controller that, that they had a set of controllers. It wasn't expensive. It was fairly cheap. And then, um, but I worked on YouTube VR. I also worked on a lot of internal stuff that didn't get released at, during that time period. So there was a lot of internal research. We did a, we worked on a VR app called blind VR, which we, uh, yeah, had, I saw that one actually. Do, yeah. these heads, do these headsets um, map your room and, and make an index of all your possessions and um, send them yes. back to Google? It, it depends on how, it depends on the app. Yeah, it's, you guys you should totally try uh, Google yeah. VR. That was scary. Me and my wife were like, "Let's go to our house. Let's see our house in virtual reality." We went there and we were like, "How in the world? When yeah. did they get all this data?" Like. You can see every part of your house, the roof, any angle of your lot. Like, you know, it was just, you know, we we were laughing because we were like sitting up in this tree, like, you know, 50 feet up somewhere. We would never be able to climb that high and see our house from that angle. And we're like looking into our gutters. We're like, we need to clean our gutters out. It's really dirty. (laughs) You know, like just this technology allows you to see see things in, in 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 a light that you would never normally be able to see, you know. Um, yeah, but let's, let's face it. What's the most important thing is how well does porn work on it? Exactly. Oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's funny because the porn industry was one of the first industries to move over to VR. They're like fully taking it by storm right now. Mm. You know, it's really. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, when I was I wouldn't know about things like that. They, they gave me the whole. They gave me kind of a like a VR crash course on like what's happening in VR because I basically went from knowing nothing to having to get caught up mm. on everything in a very short amount of time. And yeah, they were showing me all kinds of stuff. I was like, wow, I had no idea that 
this is where things are at now. And, you know, now my kids are experiencing VR and it's like normal to them. You know, they're like, oh, dad, we can play Half-Life in VR now. You know, Valve Labs mm. just released, like, released the coolest game ever in virtual reality and, you know, stuff that we'd only dream about happening yeah. now. It's actual reality, but it's wild. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so here's one to all of us. It's more um, in the hardware domain again. Um, I was oh. actually thinking about that the other day because uh, I think last time we uh, we did this chat... Uh, trackers came up very briefly. Uh, oh, of course, dude. Hey, Richard's got one. Yeah, <laughs> like a fucking Swiss Army knife over here. Man. It's funny because I just I just had to submit my track this morning to Polyend for the for the final release of the, their firmware and software that's going to ship with all these. Mm. It's, but uh yeah so uh, yeah it's funny were you, were you ever in uh in fast tracker or something like that uh, I, I i had fast tracker when when i was on the atari like in the early 90s i, I, I didn't use really... i used octomed i remember octomed first oh yeah, yeah yeah and renoise and then i went right to renoise i actually still have renoise on my computer yeah, i still have renoise here in front of me as well i still play with it every once in a while yeah you could do some pretty interesting things with a with a tracker um I, I like them because it makes me think differently out of an, my normal way of sequencing instead of, the, yeah. you know, which mm. depends on what instrument I'm using with the modular, it's always running. So you're not thinking yeah. about a linear timeline. If you were working in a DAW, but with like the tracker, you're like working with these steps in a vertical orientation. So you're, mm. you're not thinking about things like you're not thinking about time in more of like yeah. a linear fashion. Yeah, yeah, it's like build. It's like building songs with uh, with pattern chaining rather than uh, on exactly. a timeline. Exactly. Yeah, it's very yeah. Exactly. yeah. So it's, I mean, yeah. anything that changes the uh, the way you think and interact to make some kind of noise, yeah. I, think, I think is a really healthy thing. You know, the track is a good example of that. Complicated yeah. for someone like me, and it wouldn't be if I had to get something done. I wouldn't head for a tracker. The really, you know, really exciting to to mess around with, and you know that who knows what could come from playing with stuff, and that's yeah, I, I think that's a great thing. Yeah, you know, imagine if you had to do everything the same way every time. You know, I mean, that's how some people prefer yeah. it too, as well. It's true. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, th I think uh, Christian Vogel, met from you. Years and years ago, I oh, when, when he just come out of university, I think. But he, he used the tracker. He's the first person that showed me a tracker because he wrote everything in a tracker. You know, I was yeah. expecting to see he had. Uh, we we're in a studio, and I was expecting to see he had Cubase version two on the Atari, and he just comes in with this computer and it's tracking. Mm. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I used to sound like music. You know, it's like, I think the first time I. Know, I experienced the tracker myself was on a Game Boy. They used to have a Game Boy cartridge, oh, yeah. Alice oh, yeah, DJ. Yeah, yeah. Alice DJ, yeah. yeah. I saw it. Just put it in there. Yeah. I had no fucking clue what it was. Um, <laughs> but after kind of reading more about it, and I got Renoise installed on my system, I always kind of found it interesting, like even playing with like Amen breaks and doing kind of like more drum and yeah. bass stuff, how you can actually chop up different rhythms and yeah. get the, the break to start in different places. It's it's definitely a, a very inspiring way of looking at things to yeah. music with. Yeah. yeah. 
But yeah. this Polyend one, Richard, it's um, it's still pretty much like a classic tracker, but in hardware, right? So it's like a bunch of samples. You can choose from a bank of samples. You can import your own or whatever. And then you just sequence them, right? That's that's basically the whole idea. Yes, it, they do. Does it, does it sequence uh, external gear? Like, does it sequence... Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, okay, you know, so you, you could as MIDI, you could send MIDI out of it. You've got MIDI out, yeah. Okay. Got MIDI in as well, so you can sequence externally if you want. You have a line okay. input too, so you can you could. It's also a sampler too, so you could mm. sample into it. It's got mm. an FM radio input. You can sample from I radio into this, yeah. which is mm, really nice if yeah. you want. Um, and it's uh, as far when I first got it, when they sent it to me, I was a little worried. I was like, oh, this is an interesting sort of. Uh, device to bring into the 21st century um i also had that the the i think someone mentioned it in the comments the Eurorack version of the um what's it called the uh uh, nerd sequencer yeah the nerd sequencer which is also really fun which is kind of similar setup to this but uh i find that the polyan really did the most elegant uh, solution if you want to play around with a tracker. Like I, I really liked Renoise for making like really weird rhythms and stuff. Cause it's funny you mentioned Christian Vogel because Christian has a couple of really cool patches in the Renoise factory bundle. Uh, when you get uh Renoise 2.0, whenever that version came out. But um, as far as this, there's some really cool stuff they've added to this that you wouldn't get with a typical normal, tr- normal tracker. You've got multiple different like sampling modes, like granular mode. And then there's a wavetable built-in wavetable synthesizer, so you can use that. Um, you can import your own waves and create your own uh, uh, wavetables that you can sequence within, uh, you know, the tracker um, pattern mode. And so, um, and then there's these two MIDI effects that are really interesting that add in all these, like, probability and chance functions. So you could do, like, you could set, like, a range of samples in a folder and say, okay, I want you to just play samples 2 to 39, and it'll randomly pick a different sample to play in that slot. So you can generate these really like very random organic uh, regenerative sort of patches with it. Um, Cause when I first got it, I thought it was going to be like a blocky style sequencer that was just mm. repeating these same sort of patterns. But it with it within each step, you can set so many variables that it will never ever do the same thing ever again mm. through one pattern cycle. So it'll, keep regenerating these new really, really cool things. And you can do like probability rolling or um, ratcheting or, you know, or dividing or offsetting of time per, per step. And then you can have another effect do something else that's happening at the same time when that specific step is hit. So every time that step could be doing something different every time it hits, uh, you know, that sequence position. So you get some really, really interesting stuff with it. I was really I honestly was really surprised. I didn't know that it would get that deep. And um, plus you have built in effects, you have a performance mode where you can like just, you know, automate in delays or reverbs. Um, there's a lot of really, really neat things that added and they, they just, they just made it really easy to use. It's not awkward at all uh, to use like the old, <laughs> you know, like some of the older uh, um, um, trackers were to use they were definitely more awkward and kind of intimidating to use as far as um you know composing music on them but they they kind of made they streamlined this and made it very elegant easy well it is an elegant design that's for sure yeah it's really nice um but how much of it did you think is novelty in comparison to something that'd be a part of your everyday workflow um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I'm one of those people who jumps around to a lot of different things all the time. I don't I like can, to work the I same way. I can understand why. 
Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's I, I just I don't know. It's just the way that I've worked. I, I get bored easily. I like to switch things up every once in a while. And, and you know, even when, from song to song, if I'm working on a record, I don't want to do every everything in one environment. Like I don't want it to just be all modular. Or I just want it to be one thing. So I kind of switch around using different sequences or different things to kind of get different outcomes. So it's, yeah. you know, one song will be like, well, this came out completely different. Had I not used this piece of equipment, I probably wouldn't have ever came up written, written a piece of music like this. Um, but you know, that- do, you, do you have a, a spot in your studio where you can uh, easily plonk something on the table and, and make a new setup or, um, because your studio seems, by the looks of it, it seems that it has like a, a lot of fixed elements in there too, like your desk area and your monitoring area, and your modular. Um, I mean, I mean, the people who are who have a lot of gear in their studio, um, they all come up with different solutions mm-hmm. how to manage everything and how to keep everything accessible. And if you say to me now, you're switching th- stuff around really quickly. Is there like a special desk you keep? Uh, reserve for that so you can you can just drag something out and, and make it part of your setup actually yeah that's the desk right in front of me all oh, right okay okay <laughs> yeah, this this is the rear wall of my studio where i have a big okay. black desk i've got a couple of other machines here but it's basically like i have just little tabletop synths and stuff that i can put mm-hmm. here if i want to just hook up a couple things or focus on just a you know just learn or study stuff it's more of a study area for me to kind of figure things out and work on stuff um but yeah i do yeah and then i have stuff that's always permanently plugged in that when i'm working on projects um that i always just have on and i have stuff to i can record them anytime but i have a lot of floating gear that i'm still learning you know if i get something Mm -hmm. and i want to spend a couple weeks with it um, I might take it upstairs on the couch while my wife watches some of her really bad shows late at night. I'll sit there in the headphones and just on the couch and <laughs> learn. I knew what? you took stuff home, man. I was <laughs> going to say that you have to see on the sofa with headphones. On <laughs> Almost every night. Yeah. I'm always, I tell yeah. people I'm, like, I'm a student in class. I never stop learning. So, um, well, it's, it's an interesting thing because look, uh, when I was here before and we, we, we touched on it briefly about the idea that because there is so many products, that are out there mm-hmm. with anything you can think of. You know, there's not just one tracker. There's like variations in software. There's, you know, there's that track you, you showed. I'm sure there's other things. And now idea that um, to really master something, there is limitation, uh, kind of drawing back from that. So imagine you were just stuck with that tracker. Hmm. and you didn't have the option to move on to something else. Hmm. I think there's a great, it's interesting, the possibility that because you are, you, because you have to use it, you have, you have to drag everything out of that that you can. You yeah. have to know every little bit of it. I kind of, um, it's, it's like a form of limitation, but I, I think it's a really healthy way of doing it. I mean, by the sound of it, you do it quite quickly. You've got a study area. Sometimes I, I have another room here and I do the same. If I just want to check out one thing, I take that one thing and put it on the desk. And, and that's it. It's, it's really, it's just, it's just that little desk and some speakers. Yeah. To really just focus right in on that piece of equipment mm. to, to learn it more. That's, you know, that's, it, yeah. that's what I do all the time. <laughs> I mean, part of my job 
as a sound designer making sense for a lot of these companies is doing exactly that. Like I, they'll give me something and say, Rich, we're going to pay you some money to hope, make us some sounds, f- figure out how the, how this machine works. Um, so I have to do exactly That's that. That's a nice job. Yeah, it's fun. It can be challenging at times, and depending yeah. on, on the where this, what current state the 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 software is with with the instrument, it can be sometimes very frustrating. Sometimes you lose work. Sometimes uh, the work you work on gets corrupted if they do updates and stuff. That I've had that happen quite a bit. But yeah. um, that it, it, I love that idea of like forming this intimate relationship with this piece of equipment that you've just gotten and kind of exploring mm. everything it can do and not really thinking about all the other stuff, just being no. like, okay, what can I just do with this? Yeah. What are all the sound? What if I had to make, and it's an exercise that I do all the time when I get into What if you have to make a, some, you know, a proper make song a or record or, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. The, yeah, that's, that's, it's a really good approach. And it also um, is true for uh, since that you have sitting around for years which could come to life in a completely different way if you complement it with something new, you know? That's what, that, that's what I do all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, it makes, it makes uh, the, the things that you've been sort of discarding for a while uh, mm. completely new and interesting and fresh again, you know, in, yeah. uh, in such yeah. uh, combinations. Actually, while you were on, you know, the, the, you know, how you test out gear, this question came in, especially addressed to you, Luke, um, right. about the planetary assault system workflow. Is there something right. you can talk about? I can, uh, um, I can kind of brush the broad strokes <laughs> with it. Um, um, the, the, the way I work on it is very, um, it's, it's, it's really not formulated at all. So it, it normally comes down to, uh, a groove, but to get to the, that groove can take any part. So I don't start out with a 909 or uh, anything like that. Um, it can actually be something, like I was saying just now, sometimes I sit in a different room with just one piece of equipment. And if I get something on that that I like, even if it's just like a, a seat, you know, a, a loop or, or any, anything that says to me, I, I like that then I take that and work with it. And that could that could turn into a track. But the I've never really worked in a in a way of actually sitting down and saying, right, planetary suit systems track, let's get all the bits up ready to go. It never it's never really worked like that. So it's it's very uh, haphazard while working. And and it has to happen quickly. I have a strict regime on not spending all day on one track. So I like things to happen fast. And if they're not happening, if, it's, if, it, if nothing's really going on, then, then, then I quit. So I like to get in and out. And a, a, a lot of the time, um, one, of, one of the things I've been doing the last few years is I'll actually record a performance as a kind of a, um, as kind of like a main theme, and then I'll add to that afterwards. So, like back in the day, everything was very programmed in in one hit. You could play a sequence, you could play a song in a sequencer, and it would trigger all the right sounds to form the track, and then you record that. 
or what I like to do now is to process everything again and again and again. So it only has to have a couple of elements for me to recall eight minutes of something I find is interesting, and then I'll work off that. And that that is almost a complete track in itself. Mm. But I just add to that that the main idea has to be something that I feel I've, I've got in the bag. Yeah. You know, so it's it's I'm becoming more and more working like that, where just just the one sound can become track, mm. rather than having to have so much in it, which doesn't actually reflect planetary very well, to be honest. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the, that's the truth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mean you mean just keep shaping something until it's uh, it completely stands on its own and and uh, um, has a, a very specific aesthetic to it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it stands up and said, "Actually, I like this because I like I like the way it sounds and the way it feels, mm-hmm. rather than having to be um, what you know what some a copy of something that happened before." But mm-hmm. usually, for me, that ends up with a lot of reprocessing through hardware. So I'm continually pummeling, just sw- smashing and molding that 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 track in itself processing the track again and resampling it again and re-recording it until I kind of shape it into something that that, that sounds different. And I enjoy that. So it's I like you run you run a, a sound through some processing um, via your board and you record it back into the into yeah. the door and then you 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 bring it out again and reprocess it and, and so on. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Again yeah, and okay. again and again. Okay. So you like some sometimes a, a planetary track of late has been like seven or eight times through a whole chain hmm. to reprocess different layers of it again and again and again. Not not for the sake of doing it, just because I want to try and yeah try and somehow mould it. And that's 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 uh, I enjoy that way of working now more than actually trying to write a track in a sequencer mm-hmm. with with specific sounds. Um, but you can do that now. You know, you you know, computers can do that. You can run stuff in and out a lot easier than you could ever do before. You certainly have can it. do it with tape right now. Has any has anyone started um, series five hundred Rex with um, you know the there's some really cool processing available now. You know, in the beginning it was basically you know preamps and uh, yeah. EQs and stuff, but now you've got things like uh, the Alicia stuff. You know, which is much more um, you know, geared towards you know heavy processing, shaping envelopes, um, stuff like that. Yeah, it's really cool yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a rack of their stuff for a while. They sent me the yeah. I'm just Show like, us. Oh, I don't have. I don't have any. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, Where is it? <laughs> a lot of yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got I, you. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. I, I have three. I have three racks of five hundred. I use, but um, I was trying to get some more of the Alicia stuff. They let me borrow a rack of their stuff to try out, and it was really, really nice. Their compressors and EQs were really um, interesting. But yeah, I got the 500 series bug a little while ago, and I went a little mad. I bought a bunch of like API SSL stuff, um, Poltex. I got a bunch of those, and mm. uh, there's some really fun stuff that you can you can play with, especially if you have. Other uh, one piece of gear that that I've got that's been a game changer is the Flock Audio uh, mm-hmm. patch. It's a digital patch bay that you plug 
all of oh, them. Oh yeah, that switches. You can you can change the the order of things yeah. and and yeah. switch around. Yeah, yeah, that seems but, almost almost essential to be honest. Yeah. Yes, I I was just going to get a switch, a couple switchcraft patch bays, like the old school way of doing it. And then mm -hmm. I came across their their company. Now I have everything hardwired into the uh, Block Audio system, so now I can flip my hardware. Uh, outboard pieces of gear like their plugins and then recall them with like a mm. click of a button in any configuration I want. I can do like mm. mid-side, I've got mid-side processing to parallel processing. I can put any EQ, any compressor uh, or any of the stereo compressors on uh, in a parallel bus or um, and like blend in how much I want about <coughs> to happen and then store that as a preset that I can recall in just one second. Um, it's, mm. it's, it completely game changing for me as far as like working quickly and trying out different combinations of what different pieces of gear sound like pre or post each other. And then mm. doing shootouts. It's a lot easier to understand why, why one compressor is better than the other. I can do compare and you can mult signals too. You can take one signal multiplied across mm. eight channels and then run it into, um, you know, different processing bus chains and then print those stems. And then what I do is, just listen to all those different stems against each other and be like, mm, this, this combination worked really well. This one, not so good. So you get a really, really good sense of how good or bad, uh, some of this equipment works out, um, within different scenarios really quickly. I, I, like, I can't, <laughs> a better, that's probably one of the best gear recommendations I could recommend is getting a flock audio patch, a Canadian company. Yeah. They are, but actually, uh, uh, Yocum, there's, there's a company, near you in Leylistad. Okay. That actually makes, uh, it's a different company that makes the same thing. Okay. Um, I keep on meaning to check it out when I, when I used to travel in Holland. Mm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, um, there's a guy in Holland making the same thing. It's, it's not as polished as Flock stuff. Flock's yeah. really lovely, lovely, lovely product. But um, there's a few different ones actually I've seen around. Yeah, I know there's a couple. I remember being, I remember doing the research a while back. It was probably like a year ago when I was looking at patch bays. I got into, I spent many nights on gear sluts reading all these different forums and comparison shootouts <laughs> and stuff. And yeah, I'd been researching like different <laughs> patch bays because that was the biggest issue for me is like I wanted something that was like modular that I could treat my gear like in a modular approach, but yeah. not spend tons of time rewiring everything. Um, having to remember how stuff was. And then if I had liked a setting, how could I get back to that setting really quickly? Especially with like when you're tracking and recording or doing your own mastering and stuff, you want to be able to be able to reproduce results that you like, that if you get a good processing chain that you want to go with, you want to be able to use that over and over. So, um, so you use it, use it, you use it on the way in as well as on the way out then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have to use it with, in my summing setup too. So I have a, two dangerous music summing analog summing mixers so um i can reconfigure um oh it looks like yeah yeah <laughs> someone asking about summing analog summing yeah i'm recently i got rid of my digital mixing console and went with all analog summing not not because i didn't like my digital board i just wanted a smaller footprint i wanted something that didn't take up my entire room and was going to heat up my studio and you know, with a big analog desk, I would, you know, I was almost going to get, I was looking at getting like an SSL AWS 900 series console. I was looking pretty hard at those for a while. And then I just was like, you know what? I, I'm not mixing a band or anything like that. I don't need something mm -hmm. with that many channels where I need EQ and compressors on every channel. And, you know, just, 
I just need something to process stems and get stuff in and out of the computer, really clean recordings. And then I'll figure out what kind of coloration I want to add later on, either coming on the way in or if I want to add it later on. So I just wanted a smaller Mm -hmm. setup that was easier to use. And um, so that's what I did for, for, for my most, you know, recent um, configuration here, but it's that the, the flock is just, yeah, flock audio really, they really nailed it. I mean, it's such an elegant solution and you can use it for synths too. I, I, when I met with them at the NAMM show, they just came out with the 64 XT version, which is basically 64 inputs and outputs that you could use. Um, So what I might do is instead of as, is what I will do is I'll probably get one of those and route all of my hardware synths into that box. And then each one will be Mm -hmm. a label say like my Jupiter eight, I want to just bring it in like a plugin into my session and I'll have it there. I can trigger it via MIDI with my Neo tens here, but then ch- just take that channel stream and run it through any processing chain here that I want at the click of a button and then just press print and record it right into the, the track there with any combination of external hardware and software that I want. And one that's session. amazing. Yeah. That's such a big difference than, you know, going, you know, go, getting in there with the wires and yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool. it just, so easy to to yeah. do now i mean um yeah for me it's been it's been game changing um but yeah i don't know that's my hopefully and they're not too expensive i think they're around maybe just under two thousand dollars i mean i know that might seem pretty expensive but uh, i spent more money on the cables than the actual box it's, <laughs> all, it's all db25 connector cables and stuff but mm-hmm. even getting a good switchcraft a uh, patch bay is like eight, 900 bucks. So mm. and I was going to have to get two or three of those. So I was still spending the same amount of money to, to get the old school patch bay in place of this. So it was either, you know, one or the other, neither one was going to be really cheap to, to get the same results. So I'm glad I went with the, the other one, but. Um, yeah. So what about Ronnie? What about Ronnie? Ronnie's question? Hey, Ronnie. Um, in the box summing or out of the box summing? I mean, um, I've got something to say about that. I mean, most important thing is to get it in really high quality or really, really well recorded because, um, you know, uh, it, it, that's that's your first stage to get something to sound good, you know. And um, if once you master that, you can start worrying about, um, you know, maybe, you know, experiment with, uh, analog summing but to be honest you know shit in is shit out and you know so if if you if you you rather <laughs> no exactly yeah that's that's true um no it's certainly true for uh, for audio i mean um yeah. I, I mean the best thing to invest on is um you know getting a good really good um analog to analog to digital converter um before you even start thinking about um analog summing you know if you if you record it really high quality all the dynamics are there uh, you got it on the right level you know that makes a huge difference when you are mixing down um, uh, and that's true for in the box or out of the box but one you first get all these other steps uh, sorted out before you consider that I think um, I think you look you're you are summing everything out of the box right you're summing everything through your um, analog mixing desk yeah yeah, so everything runs analog. Then I, I have to agree with what you're saying. It's much more interesting to have the, before you start putting what you're doing through end devices and you start 
taking them on as being uh, a kind of a, a fix for what you're trying to do. If you can get it good, as good as you possibly can, and then and then have that as your track, you, you have the freedom to run that through anything. Yeah. You can run it through like a, you know, I've run stuff through anything that's lying around just to see what it sounds like. But if you haven't got the track, if you haven't put the work into the track beforehand, or if you've already run it through something, you lo- you're losing a lot. I think you lose a lot of um, detail. And when you put that through something else, it doesn't always doesn't always pan out. So I, I agree with your saying it's kind of um, don't have your president until you've uh, done the work. <laughs> yeah. Certainly. Maybe it's, I don't know if it's a bit of a, a kind of a. It's kind of a carrot on a stick, the whole summing thing, I think, to a degree. Um, or maybe it's just, maybe if you work in, in, in a more classic way, of right, you know, because it, it, it's thought of this idea of you, you're writing a record and then you're, you're summing it through something that's going to bring everything together. And in my experience, that doesn't work. Not in the way people think it's meant to. If, if it's not good to begin with, then, then it's not going to suddenly change the track into being uh, amazing. Yeah. I think the difference is in the last uh, percent, maybe, you know, uh, yeah. if you, if you, you can you can you know the once you talking once you start talking about these really high end uh, pieces of studio gear um first of all you've got to get yourself familiar with whatever you're using um but then it's also the more expensive you get at the higher up in the ladder of the expensive and and amazing engineered audio chains or circuits um you know that every time it's it's a few percent you know it's like a it's it's like this mm. extra little um, shine or extra little polish or extra space, One but time. it's yeah, yeah, it's um, you know, it can get um, a massive money vortex very, very quickly if you want to start getting yeah. into that. <laughs> yeah, I remember is, I used to at the pump. studio I used to work with on the wall, they used to have a, a the number six and a letter P. And forever, I was wondering what the fuck that meant. And I finally asked the engineer once, and he's like, Oh, that's the six P's. Proper pre-production prevents piss-poor performance. This <laughs> <laughs> so like, all right, just get it done right the first time, man. <laughs> I never heard of that, man. Six P's. That's good. There you go. Write it on your wall. That's <laughs> Yeah, I still haven't jumped into the 500 series stuff myself. I'm still suffering from the lack of material benefits, but hopefully <laughs> I'll get there soon. <laughs> yeah. A specific question about the analog to digital. What are you using, uh, Mo? Analog to digital converter? Mm-hmm. Oh, I have nothing special. I mean, just honestly, uh, my my setup is pretty pretty minimal in terms of processing to go in i'm just going directly into my fireface ufx okay so rme RME. yeah yeah okay okay and you luke um 
I actually put everything uh, Burl Audio. You know those guys? Sir? Burl. Burl. Okay. They're like rock and roll, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's why I use it for electronic music. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but, you know, I've, I've actually got really good results just putting a, um, a stereo mini jack lead out of a laptop and then just recording <laughs> it from that. So, yeah. uh, I'm not sure how important it is. I mean, it's important in some in some terms, but uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's the the all and end all of everything. I like I like RME as well. Yeah, uh, well, stuff I just feel works, I, you know? I feel I feel it makes a difference. It's easier to uh, you can get away with less processing if your 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 quality of recording is is uh, more high end. You know. Because it tends to capture the whole sound, you know, with all its subtleties and and the top end and the and the the bottom, and it makes it makes it easier to place a sound in your in your mix, you know, when it's when it's uh, when it's recorded in a very solid way. And if you're if you're, um, I mean, I, I I completely agree with you. You know, any sound from any um, you know so-called quality range can mm. can be you know something that is very usable in in the end result but it's um if you go very low fi it everything um is more difficult to distinguish and it's it's harder to get it sit right and you know um the definition is just a little bit uh, less um pronounced you know so what do you think richard oh on well, uh, i'd say i, I use a, a couple of the I have a couple armies. You have the UFX Plus and the 802, and then I have two of the UAD um, Apollo 16Xs here that I do some of the tracking with back here. Um, but then my my analog to digital converters are the da I'm using the Dangerous Music Convert 80 Plus, yeah. um, and then to do my DA my my actual playback DA, D to A is the Convert Eights, and then um, so those are really really nice. Um, they have a very like I want to I don't know how to describe a very high fidelity hi-fi sound, real clean. Mm. Um, not as clinical as the army stuff, but definitely you can hear every macro detail um, on those Convert Eights as far as like. So I, I agree with you um, when you're talking about having really good uh, you know um, analog D uh, AD convert. I didn't realize how important that was or D to A either way going in or going out is really, really important. And I learned that the hard way kind of using shittier, you know, you know, kind of uh, entry level interfaces in the beginning and couldn't figure out why my recordings were coming out so badly because I was making really bad judgments because I couldn't hear things really well. Mm. Um, Especially if you, if you, if you loop things in and out all the time, you know, if you do I, multiple passes, I and each time, of, each time, it just degrades the sound degrades more, the sound and it, more. yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Those were all things that I had to learn the hard way. I was just mm. like, oh shit! Every time I run this through the system, like you said, it mm. it's degrading it more and more, and it's making it sound more like shit. And I, uh, yeah, I kind of had to. It was just kind of like you know, stumbling upon these things. I didn't realize how important you know, the room acoustics were having a good pair of speakers and having a good analog digital converter and DA converter, those are like the ground one for getting you the most honest. What you want is honesty. You want to know yeah. what you're making is honestly what's going to be 
accurately played back on every any type of system that anybody plays your music on, whether it's a small boombox or the car, you know, the car stereo or um, a TV sound bar, whatever that end device is that they're playing on. You're going to get you want it, your your ultimate goal is to get consistent, you know, the consistent playback, uh, no matter what it is, or 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 you know, a, a huge function one PA rig outside. If you can get your music to sound almost identical on all those various different playback systems and you've achieved your goal. And that was basically what Michael was and what I was trying to, uh, you know, spent my last four or five years building a system up to really get those results and get really, really accurate audio going in making sure that what I'm doing and creating is absolutely going to translate to anything you mm-hmm. run through outside. And, um, but not just for music. I had to, I had to, changed my setup for a lot of the sound design work I work on because a lot of the clients I work with in the sound design realm, they don't send any of that stuff to mastering. It's not like, Hey, we're going to send this to a mastering engineer and then it's going to go out to the world. They, that's not even something they think about. So when I work on a lot of these projects for clients, whether it's like gaming projects or like working for sounds for some sort of app or some environment, I, I kind of have to play the role of being a, a, a little bit of a mastering engineer and I'm not, by any means saying I am a mastering engineer or anything like that. I mean, I have friends that I would trust way more to master my stuff than myself. And that's why I still use real mastering engineers to master my music. But mm-hmm. when I do work on sound design projects here where we don't have the time or they don't have the budget to do that, I try to make the best, uh, give them the best possible audio that I can with the tools that I have available to me at that time. And then give them the best quality product that I can in, in, in you know, with the tools that I have here. So I've kind of made a little mastering setup for myself for those type of things. And then I've also been kind of just learning on my, on my own. Um, Cause I find it fascinating. I find that part of the process. It was always like a little bit of a mystery to me. And I've just wanted to like learn about it on my own. Um, and, you know, and it's been fun kind of like what, you know, Hey, what if I put multiband compressor here before this EQ or, what if I use a tube EQ instead of a solid state EQ or why, what's the differences between, between these two and, and why, you know, what, what kind of sounds can they give you? What kind of different colors can you get? Or like, what, what is this, how does this saturate harmonically the sound uh, in a way, you know, and why it, it's kind of just basically, uh, it's like a classroom for me. I'm just basically, this is my classroom and I'm just learning uh, about all of these different topics and trying to apply a little bit of what I'm learning through the experience on, you know, each project as I go forward. So um, that's good advice, Richard. That's good advice because yeah. um, there's a lot of, a lot of people, um, you know, um, asking people like us, you know, uh, questions about very specific things, how we achieve things. But mm-hmm. um, very often we just find out by ourselves, you know, by just, just trying it out. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's trial and error. Yeah, don't be afraid to fail and screw up. I tell people that all the time. Like I screw up all the time, all the time. Still, <laughs> yeah, fuck up all the time. Big fuck ups too, not just little. Yeah, I was go- I was going to ask you. Whenever you post these amazing, like you know, modular landscape, massive, uh, you know, blinking lights things, it <laughs> looks like you you totally know what you're doing. But I was I was actually wondering, what are your fuck ups? What are you, when are you fucking up? You know. <laughs> Some some of those pieces came from fuck ups. Fuck ups, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was actually going for some one. of the best things to do, man. Yeah. yeah, and it turned into something totally different that I didn't even 
that I wasn't even going for. And I was like, well, this is actually cooler than what I was trying to go for. So I'll just go with this. And that's kind of the beauty with modular is that um, when you work with a system, a bigger system like that, we have a really, really big patch going, you know, you could really shift the whole thing just by doing one wrong thing or, you know, the power going out for a second and everything being reset. And you're like, Oh shit, I just, yeah, all the time is all the time is lost and everything. Yeah, I've lost. Reminds, me, reminds me of that story you told me about it at Red Rocks and oh my god, <laughs> dude! All that was, I don't know if you if you ever heard that. Well, I, I played a show at uh, Red Rocks, which is a venue here in uh, Colorado. I think it was about. It's an incredible venue. Yeah, it's around nine thousand people. It was a really. I was opening up for this other band that's really big here, so they had me open up for them, and it was a. Uh, I had my kids with me and I had my modular set in the center there. And I was in the middle of playing and my kids were dancing on stage behind me. They were, they were, and they were live streaming this too on like live nation or something. So it was like televised people watching it. And my daughter was there and she was dancing behind me. She's like, daddy, can I help you turn a knob while, while I was playing the show? And I was like, sure, you know, you could turn a knob here. And of course she, flips the power switch on my modular system and turns the whole thing off. And it just went dead silent in front of thousands <laughs> of people. And I'm, I'm like, of course, the one thing she touches, she shuts off. And they had this all caught on <laughs> stream. My daughter like, I mean, I'm sorry, daddy. Did the crowd like it? They all screamed because they thought it was yeah. part of the show because it stopped. <laughs> up and the, no, no one really knew what was going on, but I was like, yeah, completely. Yeah, exactly. It was just pretend it's intentional. Focus. And one, to be honest, one, one, uh, one uh, stop in a set can sometimes work wonders. You know, okay. as, really long, as long as it doesn't happen five times, but one, one is usually pretty good. It's pretty yeah, good. No, but, yeah. but back, in, back in the day, I can remember a few occasions where uh, on the turntables, and I know everybody's done it. Where you accidentally yeah. turn off the yeah. wrong turntable, <laughs> yeah. and it's just like. But you know, the thing is, you can carry that if you just like you do the poker face, and uh, you know it's it's kind of cool as long as you don't do it all the time. So, yeah, it's uh, funny. I, I often I often tell people this story. It was the first DJ gig I ever had in front of a group of people. I was I was playing with vinyl, and I I put on my first record, like my opening record, and it went incredibly. Like the crowd loved it. And I was getting queuing up my second record, and I started mixing it in, and everybody was going crazy. And I was so nervous that I went to the wrong turntable and picked up the needle off the wrong record. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so everything went silent, and I couldn't yeah. figure out what happened. I was like, "Why did the music shut off?" And it yeah. took me like ten seconds, which felt like twenty minutes, to like you know realize the fact that I picked up the wrong tone arm on the turntable. Yeah, but you played it cool, right? You yeah. kind of like. Yeah, I probably looked like a, a fucking piece of shit. <laughs> I thought I looked cool. That's for sure. Yeah. You yeah one thing off. you could do is just keep keep a keep a cake behind you, and when something like that happens, just ah. throw it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Uh, I see some um, people asking what kind of speakers we use. I lost the comment now because it's going really fast. Um, I think we discussed uh, speakers with Luke recently, but I see on the Colossus, you didn't have those standing there last time, did you? Uh, the, the, the eggs. 
Yeah, what's that? Um, I got I got them years back from. Uh, they're made by um, SE SE Electronics. Mm-hmm. Uh, they came out with this idea that speakers should be egg shaped for the acoustics, right. which was interesting, and uh, they kind of they kind of sent me some. Do you think so, they have a point? They have a point. Do they have a um, point? They, they look interesting, <laughs> you know. But, um, I, I've, I've never used them to write with, but uh, they kind of they're, they're good for sitting on top of that because when I'm sitting there, they sound okay. Mm. Um, but I've, no, I've never managed to really write on them. They, they, they sound really good, mm. but more, more kind of like quite high fiish. You know, that that doesn't really work so well with me because, uh, you know, I was saying before, like for years and years and years, my, my monitors were Yamaha NS10s. Yeah. And so many records were written on them. I think I think I just got accustomed to working with quite harsh monitors, monitors that were up front, mm. uh, which which they're not. You know, they're, they're they're really cool though. You know, they're like egg shaped speakers. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Exotic, <laughs> exotic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it work, man. If you, as long as you're close to them, you know, they don't yeah. carry the sound too far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're using Genelex, right, Richard? I'm sorry, Genelex speakers. I'm using um, Genelex, yeah, and also ATCs. Is the ones that I have um, behind behind me here, but I also have you know, like um, you can see these here. I'm using some bigger Genelex on the rear table. The new um, the uh, Genelex the one, I guess. I don't know if I can do the lighting better. We could see the um, probably that's probably as good. As <laughs> yeah, behind me are the um, yeah they're the uh, ATC SCM 45As, the bigger ones behind me. Um, I've been using those for, I don't know, say about two years now. And then I've been using the Genelec ones, the newer Genelec self calibrating They're like self-calibrating speakers to calibrate to the room. So they can do like a, um, they run a series of different sign sweep tones and they run soft. There's like software that runs for each speaker. That's Does it that actually work? It works great. Oh, yeah. It's okay. okay. It's absolutely. Um, so the other ones, you can see these are the, the the other ones these are the 8340 ones um Mm -hmm. and i have um been using them i also have them set up in the other room and surround so you connect them all to a a glm hub that uh runs its software and what it does is that each one of them you run a mic you put you put it in the sweet spot position and then it runs various sign sweep tones Mm -hmm. from the mic records currently where you're going to place the speakers are at. And then it uh, finds all the reflections and nulls in the room or where they're based at in the room. And then it will create a calibration profile for each speaker, including your subwoofer too. So um, I have all of the Genelec subs in here are also digital as well. So they can also be calibrated. They can also self calibrate. So where that is really helpful is all the um, phasing you know you get a lot of phase issues with subwoofers so it'll phase align all the bass frequencies for you and auto correct everything based on where the subwoofers are placed in so you're getting completely accurate um bass response 
uh, and I have three of these subs. I have two on that wall for each of those speakers back behind there. And then I have one here that I'm using with these, these speakers. But um, I mean, it's like remarkable technology. It's like alien technology to have your speaker calibrate to your room. And it's uh, <laughs> I, I have a similar system. Have you heard of Trinoff? Yes. No, I know about Trinoff. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the Trinoff was like a serious, serious development for me uh, because I spent years trying to make a room sound flat. And uh, the amount of time I spent um, checking checking waveforms, doing readings, you know, moving speakers around. Doesn't matter what speakers they are, just moving them around, back, forwards, you know. And uh, I, I got um, this Trinoff system. I don't even have to worry about it. I, I really don't have to worry about which monitors I really use that much anymore. Uh, I don't have to move them. I can just calibrate it to where I sit, and I know. And you, you know, you can change whether you want you want them to sound flat, or maybe a little bit more how you like them. You know, yeah. and this this everything runs through it. So everything that comes out the desk runs through the Trinoff before you, you get to the monitors. Mm. So a lot of people, you know, there's there's purists that say, ah, uh, oh, yeah, but you know, that's not how the speaker sounds and. Um, but to be quite honest, it's, it's just made everything come into focus for me because it's, everything's processed on the readings around the room. And it's, yeah. it's you know, I mean, well, it's true. This, it's this true stuff that, wasn't around, I mean, you know, 10 it, years, 20 years ago. So. It's, yeah, it's, tr it's true that, the, you know, it's not the, the purest approach maybe but no. every room sounds different so so what's what's the problem you know i mean you have to you've got i don't have anything measured here but uh just moved things around until they sounded good to my yeah. ears and um i trust i trust my ears i know you know all the music that i play on 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 these uh i know exactly what what it's supposed to sound like and how i like to hear it yeah. um it's a very you, personal you, thing you, too you, you know you know your monitors you know you know, yeah, I've had I've had these for about 20, 25 years maybe. I've got the 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 PMC MB2s, you know, and with um, a big uh, sub to complement them. I I only got the sub when I got into in, in this room because it's it's big enough to handle the the sub, you know. It's a twenty one yeah. inch uh, paper cone, and and it's a bit of, a little bit behind um, the front end. Of, you know, it's the the face and everything is is calibrated, but it's not. Um, you know, like a, an academically uh, tuned sound system. You know, it's um, but it, it it sounds incredible to my ears. I can I can I sometimes you know I I still after all these years I love them so much. I I love the, the sound of the PMC so much that I just sometimes just sit that I just sometimes just sit here and listen to stuff. You know, <laughs> and be be amazed by whatever you know. Whatever yeah. I'm hearing, it's um, yeah, and and they're nice to work on because they carry the sound quite far into the room. So even even if I'm I'm four meters away from them, I I still get um, you know plenty of information. You don't really necessarily have to be in the sweet spot to to be able to hear what you are doing, you know. So yeah, yeah. but it's a personal thing, I guess. Um, you know, uh, as long as you can really judge what you are doing. Yeah, um, that's the main thing, and that's it needs the, to be pleasant. Matters, yeah. it needs to be pleasant. It needs to be. 
not not too fatiguing you know not too harsh not too too direct you know um yeah. i like a little bit of tail in the room you know like a little bit of space um not it's not completely dead i think i think we you know we discussed this last week but it's um yeah. um yeah it's 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 true for um uh, I mean, it's very hard that because of this it's very hard to recommend any monitors to to people because it's uh every room sounds different you know and every everybody yeah. ears function in, in a different yeah. way that's right i've had i've had many uh before i got these i've, I've had them all in you know like the you know, big channel X, the Tannoys, um, uh, what, what else, um, Quested, you know, around that time, those were quite, quite famous too, quite big. Um, but as soon as I turned these on, I was like, oh yeah, this is it. <laughs> you know, the instant, I, the yeah, love at first sight, you know, I fell in love yeah. with them instantly. Which PMCs are you running? Uh, the MB2s, the the large one, the three the three way ones. Yeah, they're like fifty kilos each. You know, I, I would you know I hate moving them around, but um, yeah, it's it's worth it. You know, it's um, it's a really nice system. Awesome. Yeah. I'm about okay. to switch monitors myself to the Focal 80s. Oh, Focals, Fo yeah. Focal yeah. yeah, yeah. That's actually I have it in my my two by cart in today or tomorrow. So <laughs> two by cart. <laughs> Uh, Look at that itchy finger, man. Yeah, well, it's like I'm getting a new desk in my studio because the way – you can't really see it now, but the way my system is set up, my speakers are too close together, so I don't have a very – I have a very narrow stereo field, and it's been really shitty mixing. So I got another studio desk, which will allow me to play speakers properly in a better place, and I have these really old JBL LSR room correction micro, um, monitors that uh, I've been using and I'm sick of them. So it's time to step out. When we mixed the last album that I did, the Belief Defect record, we mixed them on Focals and it was such a, a pleasant experience. So um, that's yeah, definitely where I'm going. Yeah. By the way, we, um, for the people who are still with us, um, we started experimenting with something new last, uh, last week. We set up a, a Discord server. Uh, which is uh, sort of like a, an, a real-time live forum, and um, we call it the at the moment we call it the Knob Twiddlers Hangout After. <laughs> so for people who have been here and uh, and didn't see their uh, uh, questions answered or they have more questions, I'll be there after this after we stop streaming, and uh, maybe um, the other guests are invited as well. Um, sure. But we'll 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 be there for for a while there, you know, just uh, hanging around and. Um, That's an and, after party, uh, right? Yeah, it's just uh, an after party chat with uh, with everybody who's uh, watching us now, or the people who want to join the server. Yeah. Awesome. So what else, guys? Let's see if there's any other questions. We can oh yeah, so the the link to the Discord server has just been posted in the comments. So there you go. Very nice. Uh, I just uh, yeah. downloaded oh, Discord yesterday for the first time on iOS, but is it on desktop? Is it web-based or is it uh, an application? Both. Yeah, there's a standalone application, but you can also get just okay. get in there with uh, just a, in your browser. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was I, I saw this. Um, I, I saw it pass a few times. 
um, it's been around for a while, but um, I only noticed that with uh, you know recently when the Super Booth um, Home Edition was there, I, I saw it again, and then it really so started me thinking. This uh, Tsao or Tsao mixer, have you seen that? It's the, the oh, mixer with uh, CV yeah. inputs. Yeah, have you seen that? Yeah, I was in Berlin. Um, you know Mark Anestis, right? From basically mm-hmm. Poland. So it was really, this is a really crazy random story, but I was at Hard Wax with my friend Matt. We were just chilling in there because, I don't know, it's just a great place to go to pick up new music and stuff. It's kind of a ritual for me every time I'm in Berlin. And uh, every time I'd been to Hard Wax, I'd never seen Mark ever in the store. Um, and I know he owns the store and runs it with his wife. And I've been a huge Basic Channel fan since I got into listening to electronic music back in the early 90s. And um, so my friend Matt like grabbed me. He's like, look, Mark and this is over there. And I was like, no, he's not in the store. He's never, I've come into the store like a hundred times. He's never been here. And, and I like kind of look in the corner. I was like, that actually is Mark and this You're right. And my friend Matt, he's a huge basic channel fan too. He's like, we got to go up and say hi to him. We have to say hello and talk to him. And I was like, I was, I'm one of those people who don't like to get in people's business or whatnot, but he just was like, no, we got to do it. It's our only chance. So he, we, he walks over there and pulls me over with him. And he's like, you know, we, we strike up a conversation with him. And I had a show at Funk House the next mm-hmm. night with Moritz von Oswald, his, you know, partner actually, which was weird. It, the whole reason that we were there and that he was there was because I was playing the show there with Moritz and uh, we were both really excited to see Moritz play. And I was playing a show with him and it was just kind of crazy that, Mark was in the store and it was kind of like this whole thing. And anyways, we start talking with Mark and he was super nice. He's like, Hey, um, you should come by my studio tomorrow. It's not far from where you guys are staying in Kreuzberg. I'm actually just two minutes away from there. Um, and, uh, we were, of course we were like giddy two little giddy schoolgirls, like, Oh my God, we're going to go hang out at Mark and Esther's studio. Like we're going to finally see the mystery of basic channel and, Mm-hmm. All the instruments they use, you know, all these like things we've been curious about, we're going to finally see. And we, uh, you know, I text Mark in the morning and I figured that we were going to hear back from him. Maybe he was just being nice to us or something, you know, when he gave us his number and everything. And then, then he's like, no, I'm totally having coffee now. I can put coffee on for you guys. Here's my address. Uh, come see me in 10 minutes. And uh, we, you know, ran out of there like just with the most excitement we've ever had <laughs> and uh, Mark meets us outside. We go in his studio and he had uh, one of the Zell mixers centered right in the middle of his room. Um, and I didn't know that he was working with Michael Zell at the time. I didn't do a lot of research into the Zell um, analog mixers, but um, apparently he's collaborated with Michael um, in designing this board and Mark Verbos uh created the cv bus oh really okay yes okay. mark worked on that as far as all the input and outputs of the control voltages and how it works in conjunction i think there's like over 260 vcas in one of the cv channels i mean it's some crazy amount like the the circuit board is like two feet deep when mm. you pull it out of the slot of the desk you know and um so what i learned through all this like i mean we we spent i think that first day Mark, we were in the studio with Mark for almost six hours, seven hours. I mean, I thought surely he was going to kick us out at some point. I was like, dude, we have outstayed our welcome. He, we were like, dude, you can kick us out at any time. You know, we're just like here hanging out, playing with all your stuff. And um, 
he was showing us the mixing board, um, which to me, it was the first time I'd ever seen it. And he's like, have you ever played around with this old desk? I'm collaborating with Michael. He explained to me the story about how he was always looking for the last 20 something years. He's been looking for a mixing board that he could use like an instrument. Cause he, mm. he looked at the, at the, the mixing console, uh, as an instrument. And that's how they did the basic channel records was they built these things to work and do all the automation for them and do all these things that they didn't want to do by hand. And um, it really, really gave me insight on how Mark and how he made those early records that I was so just so curious about. And it said a whole lot about the design of the desk and how you have all these LFOs that can control all the VCAs and the effects sends and returns. You can just, and you can take a single hi-hat like what I was doing. The first thing I did was take like a, like a hi-hat from his uh, electron digitac. We ran it into the desk and then I just started moving knobs uh, on the first CV channel. And before you know it, the hi-hat was swirling around like swimming in reverb coming back and then it would swim into a delay and come back and all from just a couple of, knob positions and setting some LFO modulation points. You didn't have to patch anything. All of it was just built into the desk. And I, I sat there looking at Matt and I was like, whoa, this is mm. absolutely. Okay. So even see, so even with external CV input, you can, you can already. Uh, you can, there's built in internal modulation. Yeah, if, yeah. If, if you get the CV channel. So the CV channel strip is mm -hmm. a bit wider than the typical, you can get a regular Zell channel strip that has like the the eq and actually i bought the 500 series the eq one mm -hmm. uh, it's I, you probably won't see but it's back there I, I was so impressed with this eq that i bought the stereo mastering eq and 500 series um but the that same eq is in the strip of their the am1 console so mm -hmm. if you get like a regular am1 zell console you'll get the eq plus they have the you know every other insert and um, I think it's like six cent, six aux center returns per channel. I mean, they're really, really long strips, mm. but the CV channel, the CV bus channel is really what I wanted. Like, and he had eight of them mm. and he wanted to get eight more to do 16. And that way he could spread out, you know, separate the kick drum, the snare, every instrument could be moving and animating. Just, you could, it's so awesome because you can really dial in and get like this perfect sweet spot and then just let it go. And it'll just, mm -hmm weave in and out and do these things where I was just, I instantly got it. I was like, Mark, I understand why you collaborated with Michael and had one of these specific specifications into this board. It makes total sense now to me. It's like, mm -hmm. I mean, it really made the mixer come to life and really become a musical instrument. I mean, you could, mm -hmm. you could just do such amazing things with it. I, I was, uh, I was blown away. And with, he even invited us to come back a second day. We came there and we played for another five or six hours on his AM1 desk. And literally, we, not only were we getting to hang out with one of our, you know, our techno heroes, but to get schooled on this new mixing console was just, it was just an ear opening experience. I've never, um, never yeah, had. It, it looked like really interesting to me, especially because it brings the, um, the mixing or the you know the creation it, it integrates the the mixing stage into the creation stage basically you know so you you're not like making your stuff and then put it through the desk you know it's it's uh it's it's the same thing you know it's uh it's, it's the same process and, he, and that's and what that's what really interesting in, interesting to me it's i think that's a really 
Um, oh, it's fat. Yeah, it's totally not new, but it's like a whole other way of working, you know? It's like, because yeah. all these, yeah. normally it would require like an octopus, you know, to handle oh, these many right. knobs. And <laughs> it would be, you'd, have to, you'd have to have so much patching and automation to do what it does yeah. in a few seconds. And the quality, the sound quality of that desk, like Michael is, a, like the components that he uses are just... What from what Mark was telling me that he just there's no expenses. He he uses the absolute best components. He will not compromise on anything. And originally mm. he was collaborating with Wawa Schwayman um, mm. or Mark, but Wawa wanted to cut some corners, which I found I thought was kind of interesting because I, I I considered Wawa using very high quality components. I have a lot of his. Uh, I have like the S1 and I don't know probably like forty or something. Schwemann modules here that I feel that are all made of very high quality components that, uh, that are very, they sound very nice. And to hear that, that Schwemann wasn't as, wasn't on the quality enough for, uh, for on Michael's level that, that, that wasn't enough for him. I was like, wow, he really is going for the highest level of um, components and sound that you can get possible with this mixing desk. And you could hear it. I mean, every little subtle thing that you changed on that desk, you would, it was it was unbelievable. Like I would love to have an AM1 desk here. Mm. I just don't have the room because <laughs> ideally, if I wanted one, I would want what Mark has. I'd want ideally, I'd want a sixteen CV channels. Like because the CV channel could be stereo, or you could run one, or you could do two mono. But they could yeah. run stereo if you want. So you could do these cool like stereo pattern. Mm. Uh, modulating patterns per channel and stuff like that. Ideally, I would love to have sixteen of those, but it would be got off expensive and yeah yeah when you think about it the concept of a mixing desk the whole idea was to put things in front of you that you will need a lot of every time eq you know gain faders and so when you think about it there's it just makes total sense to expand on that and add True, some yeah. more things that you're going to want, you know. And, and it's, um, I've seen, I've seen, I've done, I've done quite. A, I got, I, I, I did think about getting one of those desks because they, 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 they look amazing. I mean, yeah, they, you know, I mean, I know they're amazing. They are amazing. Um, but you know, it's it's kind of it's taken many many years for that kind of idea to come through, isn't it? That sort of well, what is a desk? It's uh, mm-hmm. it's having things in front of you. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, hats off to those guys. That is, that is. I, I might get one. Too. I mean, I still haven't completely. I'm surprised I, you haven't got one, man. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm yeah. Still, <laughs> I, I dream. I go to their site every few nights, and I'm like, you know, maybe I could. Room for I think one. I think you should get one. Man. Yeah. Well, the, th- the thing is, yeah. you, you can buy them per channel, right? You can just buy yeah. a chassis, yeah. and then you just yeah. you buy two stereo channels, for example, and mm-hmm. then I mean that gives you like. That would give you an, such a range of new possibilities alone, you know, just have, yeah. you know, two or two or four channels. That I think you buy, you buy a frame. A buy yeah. Per eight, yeah, per eight units or something. Yeah. 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 They make it, they make it right. built, all built in eight channel system though. Is that the smallest one that they make? I, I can't remember. I think you can get an eight frame and then just add two channels. Hmm. And then you could either buy regular channel strips or you could buy the mm. C channels. You could do any mixture mm. of whatever you want, whatever configurations you want. So, yeah. But, yeah, you could start with uh, 
uh, like a chassis that has eight slots and then there's like a master like a master uh, channel slot that you sum yeah. channels through that you buy that comes in that frame. Um, and then you can expand that too. You can go 32 channels, 48, 16, whatever mm. you want. It just depends on how many you want to go. It's completely modular, however much mm. you you want to go. Or um, Yeah, I believe, I want to say that Mark's, Mark had eight of the CV bus channels, and I think he had eight or nine of the regular single strip AM1 channels strips in his his desk, but yeah, those were nice too. Everything was just beautiful build quality. Like the craftsmanship was just mm. knobs. Everything just felt like a solid as a you know just yeah. In his room, it, everything was so it, it perfect mixing environment. Um, every, all the furniture was machined and like it was just yeah, it was incredible to see his setup. And he, he had the P five three of the P five the. Uh, Profit five and the rack mounts. I don't know if you guys ever mm. messed around with those. And he uh, told me he had flown all the way to Detroit to get one of the Profit five racks from uh, Mike Banks. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this really crazy story about how he picked up one from Mike Banks. It was really awesome to hear the history of a lot of the just some of my favorite you know, dub techno tracks. He, you know, the, the history behind a lot of this stuff that I was always curious about because they're a very mysterious group. They never let out mm. any information about how they've made their records or what, in, you know, gear they used or, um, and I was just fascinated to, to absorb. A profit five in a rack mount, huh? It's called the P five. Um, it was, um, yeah, I can see it now. Yeah. Mark had three of them. That was basically their sound. I didn't know that. Um, you know, when he said, we talked to Morris Von Oswald to Morris the next night when I played with the Morris was like, yeah, profit five all the way. You know, that was our, that was our main instrument. And mm-hmm. he had a profit six on stage that night. We asked him, well, what do you think about the profit six? He goes, no, let's not even go there. This is an, <laughs> not even, this, you know, and, uh, but yeah, I didn't know that. I, I, I had figured they had, used the Waldorf wave or was using custom stuff. And, um, they did, they were using a lot of, I saw a lot of custom stuff that Mark had built at his studio too, for generating they had this core generation thing. That was really interesting that they had built mm. or Mark had built with some other engineer that generated MIDI chords for them. That was really mm. fascinating. It looked totally like something that was all jacked up and made for like, I mean, it was just so interesting to see how they work and, uh, yeah, they should do a documentary about them. I don't know. I feel like that's like document documentary level uh, of mm. um, total music. They were like total musical geniuses in my mind, um, and still are to this day. I mean, oh yeah, and, and and you know how 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 well the music still st- stands today. Yeah. You know how well, how well it holds up. You know after all this time. I mean, some of the yeah. stuff you 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 know you used to hearing. You know, it sounds amazing in your head, and then you go back to these older tracks, and you think, "Oh, it doesn't really hold yeah, up," you yeah. know, these days. But that all that all that basic channel stuff it still sounds absolutely amazing to to this, still, to this day. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. timeless. I say it's and, like and really original. It still sounds like really yeah, special. and it's and it's yeah. you know also the it was it was I guess it it was um, I mean that the the whole mastering side of things was was also a big part of what what they did but uh, you know thank 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 god that they they uh you know that it was all done before the loudness war you know i mean the, exactly. it, there's so much dynamic and so much space yeah. in these in yeah. these in these records it's crazy 
Yeah, I mean, you, it's it's like you said. I mean, I could put on like a Mauricio record, any of the M7 stuff. Like, put it on. They're twenty yeah. years old, twenty five years yeah. old. You put it on, you're instantly hypnotized. So you're like, yeah, something. yeah, yeah. Even on small speakers, or on a, or you're hearing those records on a big PA, where I'm just like, wow, like how many people? I mean, how many how many artists do I know where they could use just a couple of elements in a track. They don't have to use that much stuff, right? It's not a really complex track. Well, maybe there, there is complexity in what they're doing, but it's just something that they're doing. They do it so tastefully that yeah. you don't even realize that seven minutes has gone by. You've gotten so lost in this track, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then you're just like, you're looking at your watch like, well, it's already been 10 minutes. It feels like, <laughs> how did they yeah. do this? Like I, yeah. I, I was always just, uh, amazed at how they were able to do that like hyp- hypnotically just suck you into the space and then they have you the whole time and yeah like, but i mean it's it's very repetitive repetitive but there's, there's no bar is the same as the other one it's no all it's yeah. all floating and changing it's just it really is just you know i don't know for me it's something i've never been able to achieve you know <laughs> i don't think i'll ever be able to do it but I've always been fascinated by their work and um, it was fascinating to go visit Mark and see a little bit of how he, you know, a bit of history and also how he's currently working now with, with the AM one mixer, but that mixer made a lot more sense and kind of like, I I was curious why that mixer was even created or where the idea had come from. And then seeing how Mark became a partner with Michael on that, it made a lot of sense. And it also was kind of like gave me a back inner working of like how they work and how they want an, a, a mixing board to work as an instrument, you know? And mm-hmm. so it was, uh, it was fascinating. We, I, I had a track that almost sounded like a basic channel track that I was making on Mark's board <laughs> <laughs> in his studio. And I was like, Oh, I get it now. I understand. This is awesome. Like I could see this going so far. Um, yeah. I, I know they're trying to get a lot more people, educated about this desk and i think they shipped a couple to the u.s i think like vintage king has one in la they've got one in nashville at the vintage king here they're going to send so they're trying to get uh, people in america to to um you know hear and try out this board so uh, they can experience what you know what we experienced at mark's place i think it for a lot of people it'd be a real ear opening um you know thing to to play around with for for a lot of folks that have worked with mix, you know, mixing consoles in a certain way, I think it really kind of open. It's like a playground. It becomes an instant playground within mm-hmm. just a couple of seconds, taking like the most simple element, any, like it was just a hi hat. I made that hi hat just, you know, completely fly around and like do all kinds of crazy stuff. It was just fascinating. Yeah, really awesome. fascinating. Awesome. Good awesome. Um, okay, guys. So um, we're running. Um, we're running yeah, up to, to two hours. Work. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, time that's flies, a step, man. That's a yeah, step. <laughs> time flies when you're having fun, right? <laughs> um, um, well, yeah. I mean, this was certainly very interesting. Um, yeah. So thank you all for uh, for hanging out. It was great. That's right. And um, yeah, great. And um, so for the people again who are watching this and want to continue. Uh, on the Discord server, the, the link is already there. It'll be posted again, and um, yeah, I'll be hanging out there. Maybe um, some of you will be there or I'll not. Join I don't in know. For a bit. Okay, cool. Um, so yes, so thanks everybody for watching. Thanks for hanging out, and um, see you next time. Cheers. Ciao.
Chao, chao. <laughs>